Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Our guest today is the CEO of Salona Computing Inc. John is on a mission to reimagine the renewable energy grid and to make renewable energy more efficient and environmentally friendly. Saluna is currently focused on some of the biggest unsolved problems for the economics of renewable energy, sustainable computing, sustainable data center spaces, and wasted energy. During this episode, we take a look at how we can use all the resources from sustainable energy, what we could use those resources for, as well as take a deep dive into some of the energy-hungry computing that can benefit from Saluna Computing. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome John Balazier. Thanks, Mariska. It's a pleasure to be here. You are most welcome. I'm really excited to hear more about your story and your journey I've been very curious about this like renewable energy industry, but I want to kind of take it like a step back with you before we actually dig into what is it that you do? Where was that moment where your sustainable journey actually started, John? It started about five years ago. I'm losing track of time because COVID is kind of like a, it's like a time warp. You know? Blank it out, blank it out. <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, it's hard to tell how much time has passed, but I was just finishing up my third, second or third software business. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur for better part of about 25 years now. I was taking a break and I was meeting with one of my mentors, a longtime investor in a few of my companies. He uh, met me for lunch and he said, have you signed anything? Have you done anything new yet? And I said, no, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be doing. And he says, well, I'd like you to come to my office and take a look at a project we've been working on. And I said, what could that project be? (laughs) That would be interesting for me because you tend to do industrial companies and I'm more of a software guy. And he explained that he was working on this renewable energy project in uh, Northern Africa and Morocco. They had this challenge where the energy was stranded. There was really no way to get the power in and through the grid. And they came up with this idea of combining the plant with computing, a a data center concept. And that was my first foray into, and he sort of couched it as, it's like renewables and blockchain. And I said, the only thing I heard there was blockchain. And I think I know sort of what that is. (laughs) And I'd like to learn more. And that was the first step into a new space that I knew nothing about, which is a bit of a bit bit of a pattern for me, as as you'll learn. Uh, I tend to like to go into innovations and spaces and industries that I know nothing about. And learn fast. But over the next uh, several years, I learned not just about those two industries, blockchain, Bitcoin, renewable energy, renewable energy finance, but I also learned about renewable energy on a global basis, how it was somewhat imbalanced. There's lots of inequality in terms of where that's taking place, where the capital is going. Billions of people in Africa still have no access to clean, sustainable energy, and really 
firm energy, actually. I also learned the fact that renewable energy was fast growing relative to its uh, former fossil fuel counterparties, if you will, but it has this big challenge and that's wasted energy. A lot of it actually never makes it to the grid. And all of that has gotten me really passionate about solving this big problem. That's quite an interesting one. Everyone's got their thing that made them start on this like journey. Yeah, so that's that's quite an ambitious one, um, I have to say. And my family and from, from some of our crazy birds that don't know, originally I'm from South Africa and my mom keeps on messaging me every day and like, hi, we don't have power. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is like the third time today. <laughs> like what's happening? Like get some solar. You know, they live with it every single day. Like some days they only have power for about eight hours or 10 hours out of the day. The rest it's like gone. So it's really such an such a like critical thing because I can just like imagine, you know, for myself not having to like live like that. I mean, when I was studying, yes, you know, we we had all of this like load shedding and things. And I remember on the TV as well, there was always like this little almost like a meter in the corner of your TV. So when all of the popular shows were on, they had like the grid meter showing like it's red, please switch off all non-essential items in your house. And, you know, it's like kind of when, when you like think back and when you go through that, when you realize just like how important it is to have access to power or energy that actually works and that works when you need it. Because, you know, if if we were in, in a place where we didn't have that, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation unless your laptop's charged fully, <laughs> you know, so you need to kind of prepare for those situations. So that's really interesting. I quite, you know, like how, how your journey started. And I mean, your company, and I want to just like say it correctly, it's Saluna Computing, not Solana. So guys, it's got a U in there. <laughs> Can you tell us more about what, what exactly it is? Yeah. So as I was saying, the renewable energy space has this dirty little secret. And that secret is that wasted energy is probably one of the biggest problems that affects the economics of the industry. If you flew over the planet and you went to certain power plants, what you would find is up to 30%, sometimes 40% of the energy that is produced by these green power plants never actually makes it to the grid. And the reason that is true is because of the original design of the grid. The grid was designed to, uh, based on the notion of synchrony, the synchrony between the production of energy and the consumption of energy, right? When there's an elegant balance between those two things, everything works perfectly. So that's why you have power plants that are thermal plants, coal, et cetera, that are controlled by the grid. They're actually dispatched. There's a little button that they press that fires up a plant and it produces electricity exactly when it's needed. But when you start to replace those legacy fuels with renewable energy power plants, solar plants, wind plants, hydro plants, now the control is in mother nature's hands. Uh, she decides when the energy is produced and how much of it is produced. And so the grid can't really control that. And so sometimes you have way too much power. Sometimes you have not enough power. And that intermittency in the energy creates this problem where the energy developers, the, the companies that build these power plants are going to build lots of them because they have lots of capital to put to work. And so you get lots and lots of power plants being built sometimes in the same area. 
and it becomes very congested. So lots of power plants, the wind starts to blow and they produce lots of energy, but there's no place to send a lot of that energy. And so the grid signals to those power plants to shut down, reduce their size, et cetera. And so you have this phenomenon where there's power being produced, but it can't be monetized. That's known in the industry as curtailment. That's the technical term for wasted or excess energy. And what we do is we build flexible data centers right at those power plants that are experiencing lots of this curtailment. They're modular in design. They're designed to wake up when that excess energy is available and convert that uh, wasted energy into global batchable computing. And what I mean by that is the type of computing that would run the model that determines what movie to show you next on Netflix, but not the not the computing that shows you the movie. So we're not streaming, we're not running the e-commerce applications, we're not running the synchronous or real-time applications. We run the applications that run in the background. So Bitcoin mining, for example, runs in the background quietly securing the network. So we run that in our facilities. The Netflix example, if you're searching for a new molecule to replace or find a, a cure to COVID, then you're going to be doing a lot of analysis of, of molecules, constantly doing that in the background until you find one that's interesting. That batchable nature means that you can stop that process, pause it when there's no power, and then wake it up again when there's power available to continue that processing. And that is the essence of the data centers we build. They're green, they're flexible, they're uh, highly scalable, cooled in a very unique way. And we build them very quickly near these power plants to absorb this wasted energy problem. The advantage of that is that the grid now retroactively has this sort of uh, battery-like experience without deploying a battery. Um, we like to say computing is a better battery that can absorb that wasted energy, giving it the flexibility it needs. That's really something cool. Um, didn't know about the Netflix thing. So next time when I see that, you know, suggested or something comes up, I'm definitely going to be thinking of you guys. <laughs> um, and I mean, that is something that I've talked quite a bit on the podcast as well, because when it comes to cryptocurrency and especially Bitcoin, it is so energy hungry. And I know at the moment or like when I last checked, it was about 40% of the Bitcoin mining that was being like mined through renewable source resources. But I mean, stuff like this can really um, give that a boost as well and help for energy that would have been lost either way to kind of, you know, get mined in that in that way as well. But there's also other like with the computing as well, like machine learning and things like that. Would that also be something that could be done through these centers? Absolutely. AI, machine learning, uh, scientific computing, video transcoding. There's a whole host of different types of applications that are perfect for these types of environments where the data center is less available than your, your typical sort of hyperscale 24 by 7 super redundant facility. I mean, you have some of these large companies that build data centers that can survive earthquakes. We're not building that. <laughs> We're building facilities that are much more tuned and designed for these environments that are remote in location. They're close to uh, rural areas where these power plants uh, uh, exist. They're converting that wasted raw material, if you will, into a sustainable or renewable computing fabric that we can make available to the world. We like to say that we're really in the business of helping deliver clean, green, 
inexpensive energy locally and sustainable, less expensive computing on a global basis. Because, I mean, when it comes to like renewable energy, a lot of our crazy birds might not have seen, you know, what some of the wind farms look like or big solar farms. I mean, back in in Dubai, we had one of the biggest like solar farms. So you've got all of that, but like, where where does it go after? That's like kind of, you know, a little bit of the tricky situation when we look at the current grids, like you said, you know, they were made and designed for back when, you know, we were still only using fossil fuels and things. So having renewables is great, but I think at a point we need to kind of adjust our grid as well. And like here in Australia, we can actually sell some of our solar energy back to the grid as well. So if you've got solar that's like powering your house I think if you like, I can't remember the prices, it's gone up so much over the last couple of months, but let's say, for example, you would pay like 16 cents or whatever for, I don't know even how much you would get for that, but they would basically only pay you like a quarter or something if you put that back onto the grid. So it's, it's not financially like, I don't know if a lot of people would actually do that, But if the grid was like upgraded as well, which will be one hell of a job, (laughs) like, you know, upgrading the grid for an entire country, you'd be better off, you know, installing all of these like little stations everywhere or have each house have their own like solar versus, you know, upgrading the grid. I mean, that's the same thing that they had in Africa with some of the countries that didn't have the infrastructure for telephone lines. So they cut that out completely by using cell phones. So I'm very curious to see how things will change in the future, because I think, you know, more people are getting into renewables and it's really great to even driving around somewhere. And I mean, when we were in California as well, like it's so obvious that, you know, you drive around and you actually see people are starting to install solar and, you know, you, you see more and more of this. So I definitely think people, it's kind of, you know, they're in their face and they want to have more of that. So it's great that, you know, what you guys are doing to also bring that from another perspective, because obviously, the grid is not going to be upgraded tomorrow. Like there's this whole transition that will have to happen. Absolutely. I think the grid is going through a incredible transformation over the next few years. And I think it's going to accelerate because the cost of renewable energy development is going down thanks to the concept of rights law, which is this idea that the more you do something, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more you can learn how to make it more efficient. And so things start to decrease in cost over time. You see more power plants being built and you see battery technology, although not yet scalable enough to address this issue, it's becoming more and more part of the grid infrastructure. More transmission is being built. EV cars are being developed. Distributed generation, as you talked about, this concept of having solar plants on whatever roof roof you can find, (laughs) put it on there. And then you have a host of different new and exciting technologies that are going to help the grid. And so the, the the new future modern grid will be a completely different beast than it is today. And it's going to have all of these different types of infrastructure components to help it achieve the flexibility and scale that it needs in the future. 
That really sounds like a future that is worth striving for, I think. And I actually had a conversation the other day with another John. (laughs) We actually talked about EVs and things and what would we do with all these gas stations all around the world? Like, you know, if everyone just charged their, their cars, like, you know, do you still need all of them? Will they be fast charging stations? Like, Could that be one of um, like your computing places where people can actually go and charge up? You know, who knows? We never know. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've actually heard an idea where there's this whole concept of building EV stations. The EV charging station may not be financially viable in the near term because not not as much traffic, not as much cars on the road. So the idea was to put some of our data center facilities close to that facility and use that energy and help it to monetize until there's enough traffic such that it doesn't need that. There's lots of interesting, you know, ideas that are floating around to make all of this work. So it's a very interesting question, like what happens to energy infrastructure around the roads over time as we shift to primarily electrically powered vehicles? Exactly. No, I think, you know, there's there's definitely a few hurdles that we need to get over, but I think it's so exciting and to think, you know, what what kind of the future would hold for that. And I mean, we kind of did touch a little bit on on like the cryptocurrency with like Bitcoin and things. And obviously with NFTs, like, you know, at the moment they do have like a very bad reputation and, you know, especially with Web 3.0 because it is so energy hungry. And I think a lot of people like don't kind of understand exactly what cryptocurrency, NFTs, what is Web 3.0. But the question that I want to ask you is like, what do you think the future would hold in? It's got this bad rep, but yeah, what what is your take on it? You know, five years down the line, if we can replay this. <laughs> yeah, I think in five years, the way to think about it, probably in like five to 10 years, we won't talk about crypto and crypto technologies the way we do now. You know, sometimes I walk down the street in New York City and I'm walking down and I see like, oh my God, what is that? Is that a phone booth? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, what is that? <laughs> Like, oh my God, like, oh my, like that, that, that's fascinating. Like, you know, because we, we've moved on so much that it's just a ubiquitous part that, you know, we can talk to anyone in the world on our phones completely for free now. Wow. And that will be true that, you know, I, we believe that with what we're doing with crypto computing and its relationship to renewables, renewables will become ubiquitous. And as a result, these platforms and security uh, systems for crypto will become ubiquitous and you just won't talk about it anymore. Um, NFTs are are going through a phase, a very maturity phase where they're trying to figure out their role in the world. And I do believe that the concept that artists should continue to participate and their estates should continue to participate in the growth and value of their art. And today that's virtually impossible without technology like NFTs, right? And so all of the ideas that we're thinking of today pale in comparison to the ideas that will be generated down the road as these technologies mature. And all of a sudden, we just won't talk about it anymore because it'll be boring because it's just everywhere. Of course, like crypto is part of our society. And of course, you can send money in all different forms around the world. And of course, <laughs> Bitcoin is a, is, a, is a real asset and it has a real role in the financial services systems. And we have decentralized finance. It's just going to happen because... What I've seen in the last 
decade mirrors what I've seen two decades ago with the advent of the internet. What is the internet good for? Well, what? I'm not putting my credit card on the internet. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why would I do everyone, that? You know? Like, and you know, no, no one. <laughs> exactly. what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and no one would like ever you know? say now, oh, um, it's www dot. You yeah, know, exactly. website. Yeah, yeah. nobody like... says that. Not com- <laughs> Like nobody says that anymore because yeah. why? Because it's just it's just a fact of life and it's it's a normal thing. And my kids, they won't know a world without that. And that will be true in a decade with crypto. It'll just be part of our society and it'll be it'll be the key catalyst to making renewables the superpower on the planet. That's something that yeah, I'm looking forward to. Obviously, I've been following Gary Vaynerchuk throughout this whole like Web 3.0 quite closely. And yeah, so I would definitely encourage people to educate themselves about some of these things and also have a look to the back at the past work with the Internet. Like everyone thought, you know, wow, this is a very, very strange thing. But yet today our lives are so much better because of that. So let's see what five years hold. We might replay this and be like, hey, John, remember <laughs> that conversation? But, um, and I mean, so now when, he, when we kind of look at renewable energy, previously, like even five years or 10 years ago, I remember it was so expensive. Most people were just like, I can't afford putting solar on my roof because, you know, there was no subsidies for it. So the government didn't really do as much as they were doing now. So, you know, obviously fossil fuels were a lot cheaper. Would you say that the renewable energy is kind of a little bit more competitive now? Or is it like if you compare it with like the fossil fuels? Renewable energy is the cheapest form of energy today. It has, as I was alluding to earlier, benefited from this idea called uh, rights law. And the basic idea is that the production volume of, of something that you, that you build, as the volume increases, when we first started out, solar panels were only used on satellites that were sent to space. <laughs> I remember the the sort of mini movies that showed you know the, the the satellites orbiting the planet and they're basically powered by these panels. Over time, as we started using them in different ways on Earth and the production volume increased, its cost started to fall. The quality improved more quickly as the industry learned to improve the process, and this rate of reduction in cost and process improvements actually has a name. It's called the learning curve. And in Wright's Law, which was this physicist, basically focused on the economies of scale, essentially. Renewables have benefited a lot from economies of scale over time. We built lots of it around the world, and we're building more and more of it, and solar has come down tremendously. To give you an example, in 1976, the price of solar systems or since that time, since 1976, the price of solar systems, the, the actual equipment that you use to build a solar plant, it's dropped by 99.6%. So it went from $106 per watt to 38 cents per watt. (laughs) So each time (laughs) you double- Talk about savings right there. That's huge, yeah. So each time you double the installed capacity, it causes the price to decline by 20%. So as we build more, it just keeps dropping. Onshore wind has also experienced that. It has a learning curve of about 23%, which means every time you double the capacity, the price declines almost a a quarter. 
and so as a result, the price of power, so I was just talking about the systems, but as a result, because the systems are so much cheaper to build, the price of power has dropped for wind by almost 70% in the last decade, and solar has been 89%. So it's these technologies are now positioned to be the dominant sources. And you know what does not benefit from rights law? Fossil fuels. <laughs> The cost and production of fossil fuels over time does not decrease <laughs> as you build more and use more of it. That's the, the real potential. So when we look at our business, you know, we have about 50 megawatts of, of facilities and we think what happens when we go to 100 megawatts, 200 megawatts, a gigawatt, that means our experience will be significantly improved and our innovations will accelerate. The cost to do it will go down and there'll be more and more of these types of facilities out there to help drive renewables. Yeah, so we'll definitely also be seeing with more of your computing stations as well that you'll have less wasted energy as well. So over time, you would be um, be able to actually use 100% of the energy that is being generated as well. So that's like future goals right there, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, the key point is that as you reduce the wasted energy, the grid can absorb more green energy. That's the whole idea. So we want to drive more green absorption. And so we have to solve the wasted energy issue. And, and the more we can do that, the more renewables we'll have on the planet. That's something definitely we're striving for. John, like what exciting projects are you currently working on that you can actually share with our crazy birds as well? Yeah. So there's one that is maturing very nicely and, and coming out of the ground in Texas. It's called the Dorothy Project. Uh, by the way, we name all of our data centers after amazing women scientists. So Dorothy is named after Dorothy Vaughn, the human computer African-American uh, scientist that was involved in helping to get us to the moon. We have other data centers named after women as well. You can see them on our website. Dorothy is a 50 to 100 megawatt facility that we're building out that's connected to a big wind farm that is experiencing lots of this wasted energy issue. It's a beautiful distributed uh, facility, a beautiful uh, modular facility that's scalable and built right at the facility. It's in a, a small town far away from the big cities. We're bringing these incredible jobs to that area. We're bringing new technology to the area. And I was just there uh, recently, and to be honest with you, the facility just looks beautiful with the wind and the, the wind uh, farm in the background, the design of the facility itself. And here it is. It's like this living, breathing, flexible facility that's going to solve wasted energy. And it's, it's exciting to see it you know, come out of the ground, and uh, we hope to energize it uh, here in the fall. So pretty exciting time for us. Oh, sounds fantastic. And do you have like any images of it or something that we can maybe share with our crazy birds? If you go to our website, there's a projects area. You can click on the Dorothy project. You'll see photos and we have a real live timeline. We're going to put up our live cam uh, there soon. So you'll be able to watch the construction happening consistently and persistently uh, as we build it out. We focus on transparency. We really want people to see where we're doing this, how we're doing it. Our Sophie project, for example, has a live cam and you can go back and look at the whole timeline as we built out the facility. So the same will be true for Dorothy. Folks can join the journey, if you will. Yeah. Oh, we'll definitely check that out. And I'll link that in our show notes as well. So our crazy birds can actually see that. And 
One thing that you mentioned there, like kind of, you know, creating the jobs in these communities, because that is something that's so important because I know, you know, obviously we are moving away from fossil fuels and for a lot of these like kind of smaller communities that is like mine in the mining industry and that that is their bread and butter. So I can imagine for them, it must be hard when people are saying, you know, oh, we want to get rid of fossil fuels and, you know, we're going to take away all these jobs. And to kind of transition because, you know, we still, even though it is fossil fuels, you know, there is still people that is connected to this, you know, people whose livelihood depend on this and, you know, to be able to transfer them over to like greener energy. I think that's really important. And, you know, for them to still be able to have a livelihood after, you know, the fossil fuels is gone and that we can have like a sustainable community still, like whether it is environmental, but also um, social and economical for them as well, so that they can, you know, just kind of grow with the community as well and be like, you know, still have a job as well. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. In fact, that's part of our philosophy as a company, our core principles is to really have a positive effect on the local communities where we build our projects. It's really important for us that we understand who who lives there, what their needs are, and shape the projects and investments we make, not just for return on invested capital and profits, but also to invest in education and retraining of people there, because the roles and the jobs that we have there that we're putting out there are really higher end, if you will. They're, they're, they're more sophisticated and we have great training programs. And so folks can transition from a legacy fuel to these new projects. Typically, when you're building a power plant, you'll have a big sort of uh, increase in the job footprint. Lots of times they're transplanted workers, et cetera. In our case, you're building a facility. There's a construction company that comes in to build it. There might be some local footprint. But then after the facility is up in, in breathing, you know, we're generating 25 to 50 jobs for every few hundred megawatts that we're building. And so it really helps the community to generate uh, long-term permanent jobs out there. What would you say is kind of next for you guys? So we've got Dorothy and, you know, you've got a few projects, but yeah, what would you say is, is next? So we've got a, a fast growing pipeline approaching over a gigawatt of projects. And, you know, next for us is working with a new advisor we've brought on to help us look at the financial aspects, determine how best to find uh, financial partners to build out those projects. And they're all over the place. They're in the US and beyond. Uh, we are looking at uh, Australia as well. This problem is also prevalent there. And there are some new laws that are coming into place that will benefit projects like ours. And so we'd like to look at that uh, space as well. And uh, also bringing new and exciting talent to the team, you know, expanding the footprint of the expertise that we have in the computing areas beyond Bitcoin in the renewable energy space. Uh, so we always are open to incredible talent that's looking to do something that is mission driven that can really save the planet to, to, to give us a call. Those are the things that we're focused on, growing the business and growing our culture as a company and getting more projects uh, constructed and out of the ground and humming. 
Oh, awesome. Well, if there's any of our crazy birds that that sounds something interesting, like please reach out and give John like a message or an email. We'll link link all of that up in the show notes as well. Yeah, they can check out our careers page. They can reach out to us. We're everywhere on social. We love to to talk to new talent. And this is actually these call outs, if you will, to, you know, the the incredibly bright and, and, and ambitious people out there has allowed us to grow and we've attracted some amazing talent. So we're open to it. So what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Well, it has been really taking this company, you know, this, this bull that it is by the horns, really. I think that uh, I was skeptical at first, to be honest, about what value I could bring to the space and how could I help being a non-energy person? And what I'm seeing is that there's a whole movement of just incredible people that didn't come from the industry that bring a, a new fresh lens to solving problems in the space. You know, we really need that in order to address climate change. We need innovation. We need lateral thinking, I'd like to say. I think bringing a fresh look to the industry has been the best thing that I've that I've done. I can't tell you how excited the team is and folks are about what we're doing as a company. And that's because we're taking a completely different approach than traditional solutions. Well, I'm excited to kind of follow that journey as well and just like see what you guys are up to. So yeah, thank you for that. It's really amazing what you guys are doing. So John, we are now going to move into our final five. So it's the same five questions I ask every single guest. And you can just give me short answers for these. You ready? I'm ready. What is one social media account or publication that you follow? I love Farnham Street. It's by Shane Parrish. He talks a lot about mental models and learning from smart people that have come before sort of figured out sort of the hard things. And he's done an amazing job of blogging that and giving inspiration around that as well. If you want a second one, James Clear is a favorite of mine. I think that uh, he does a fantastic job of talking about habits and uh, the little tiny ones, the atomic ones are the ones that really help in, to shape the uh, ultimate successes that you have by just continuously focusing on those habits and, and, and building on them. I'm a big believer in that concept of uh, sort of rolling thunder 1% better into a snowball. Oh, exactly. And I mean, that book has just been phenomenal. I'll link it in the show notes for Crazy Birds so that they can go and read uh, The Atomic Habits as well. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I hope that Mama Earth continues to be with us, uh, that we don't inadvertently destroy uh, her because of just our behavior. Hope that we change our behavior and invest in new technologies and sources of energy and sustainable practices that can continue to keep her living and breathing and supporting our species until the end of time. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I would say that everyone that is listening, take a deep breath and go find problems to solve. Just hearing about problems is one thing. Reading about problems is another thing. Solving problems is the thing. That's what everyone should be focusing on. Doing your best to join communities, companies, uh, groups that are working on solving problems. They can be as small as, you know, what do we, how do we deal with recycling or sustainability in my local community, in my zip code? 
to solving grand challenges like making renewable energy the superpower on the planet. Doesn't matter what it is, solving is better than just watching and hearing and reading about problems. I love that. That's a great one. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people that are not yet on a sustainable journey? Oh, that's a good one. What I typically say a lot these days is that there's this little secret in the renewable energy space, and that is that up to a third of the energy uh, that is produced by renewable energy plants never make it to the grid. I always think that no matter how much people know or don't know about renewable, that little fact is fascinating to people. They're like, what do you mean it doesn't get to the, to the <laughs> 30%? That's a lot. <laughs> And then suddenly it just opens up a lot of questions and they get to sort of learning and digging in, which I find really fascinating. And it brings, draws more people into the industry, which I think is something we need. Oh, definitely. Just like to keep that conversation going and to even just like get that conversation started and then get it going. It's it's like it does wonders because, you know, you never know one conversation about that could really encourage other people to, you know, make sure that their third does not get lost and, you know, how they how they manage stuff as well. And John, where can people find you and Saluna? We're everywhere. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're not on TikTok yet, but we're thinking about it. <laughs> but uh, there's lots of uh, all the social platforms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously, our website is a great resource and we're going to be adding more resources. We're on Medium. If you use that platform for reading articles, uh, we've got lots of, we've got a publication there called Clean Integration. We have a podcast of our own. We have a podcast called Clean Integration. That's really sort of our, our content brand, if you will, uh, and brand around our community. We want to integrate more clean energy into the grid. And so we talk about everything, renewables and innovations that are happening, regulations, crypto, et cetera. So it's all about a sort of learning experience. So that's another place to find us. Those are great sources. Uh, you can find me on all of those places as well. I tend to talk both about my passion here and my passion about being a CEO and all the learnings that I've had over the last 25 years, I share them on social platforms and, and my own personal blog as well. Awesome. So we are going to link that all up for you, uh, Crazy Bird. So if you are driving somewhere and want to hit pause and write down all these details, don't worry, we've got you covered. Go to the show notes. It's all going to be there for you. John, thank you so much for being such a phenomenal guest and for all the work that you guys are doing every single step that we can, you know, take for a more sustainable and renewable environment and energy. It's, it's just like such a, such an impact. Um, so thank you for the work that you guys are doing. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, uh, Mariska. This was uh, fantastic. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, 
maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice, and it's us crazy birds.